Good morning to uh, everyone that is here. Uh, great to see you out uh, this morning on this cold boxing day. And to those who are watching online, we uh, want you to know that we are not judging you. <laughs> no, we, uh, I seriously hope that uh, you are, wherever you are, whether you're with family or uh, just relaxing at home, that uh, you're having an enjoyable day. Um, boxing day, right? Today is Boxing Day. Uh, this is, sometimes I refer to this as the Lost Sunday. Um, this is actually one of those Sundays where uh, sometimes pastors don't really know what to do because we've just had Christmas, we kind of got our, we've all done the Christmas thing, and so now it's the Sunday after Christmas. Do I talk about Christmas? Do I talk about New Year's? Is it too much, a little bit too much Christmas? Time to change topics? You know, what do I do? Uh, where do I go? And so the solution seems to be you book a guest speaker and you make it their problem. And, uh, but uh, we will forge ahead. So let, let's pray and then we'll dive into God's word. Father, we do thank you for this Christmas season. We thank you for all that uh, we get to enjoy, all that we get to celebrate the gift of Jesus. And even as we gather today, once again as your people, uh, on this day, we ask that you would open our hearts as we open your word and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so this is Boxing Day. I, I do want to talk a little bit about Boxing Day today. Uh, and on what is Boxing Day, right? We have this day after Christmas. And, and Boxing Day is, no, it's not the day where you pack up all the boxes and wrapping paper that are strewn around the house and throw it out. And it's not the day that you box up all your Christmas decorations and put them away for another year. That's not what Boxing Day means. Or it's not the day that you box up all the gifts that you didn't want so you can return them to the store for a refund. Uh, that's not what Boxing Day uh, is about. Uh, nor is Boxing Day uh, a term used to refer to the post-Christmas fights. You know, like your kids are kind of done playing with their toys, they're bored with them, and now they start fighting with each other, like boxing, right? It's not that. Uh, or the fights you pick with your in-laws and relatives so that they'll get the hint and go home. Or, uh, or even, you know, boxing up all your stuff or the fights that will happen uh, in the mall as everybody goes to get the sales because the stores want to put everything on sale so they don't have to box it all up and put it away for another year or anything like that. Uh, there's not, that's not really what Boxing Day is, right? Uh, the term Boxing Day actually comes to us from, as far as we can tell, somewhere in the early 1800s, 1830s is where the term seems to show up, and we're not really sure where it comes from. There's a couple of theories, and two of the more common ones are, first of all, that possibly it traces back to the tradition of giving alms, which were donations for the poor, giving alms on St. Stephen's Day. Now, Stephen is a very famous character in Christian history. You can read his story in the Bible, in the book of Acts, in chapter 7. We read of his martyrdom. But Stephen was also known traditionally as a man of great charity, a man of great generosity. And so there came, became this tradition on St. Stephen's Day to go and give alms to the poor. Some of you might know the song, Good King Wenceslas. Good King Wenceslas went out on the feast of... Stephen, right? So on St. Stephen's Day, this king is going out to do his acts of charity to give his alms to the poor. And St. Stephen's Day is December the 26th. And so December the 26th marks that day possibly when, we were, when Christians gave alms and took their alms to the church and put them in the alms box, hence the name Boxing Day, because it was the day you put your alms in the box on St. Stephen's Day. So that's one theory for the origin of Boxing Day. We're not sure. Uh, another common theory 
for the origin of Boxing Day is it actually traces back to a tradition that, again, happened probably somewhere in the 19th century, somewhere around that time, where manor lords would give gifts to their servants as a way of saying thank you for all the service that had been rendered that year. So it was kind of the Christmas bonus day. Right? And so it was when they would give their, these gifts in small boxes to the servants as a way of saying thank, uh, thank you, and this sort of became a tradition, and especially those who had to work on Christmas Day. And so you uh, put a gift in a box, and you gave it to, uh, to them as a way of saying thank you, and so hence the name Boxing Day. Uh, now, we're not sure exactly where the day comes from, but, uh, but either way, there seems to be something about Boxing Day that ties into this idea that Christmas really calls for some kind of a response. Right? Uh, we, we give gifts at Christmas because of what was given to us. And there's something about Christmas that calls for some kind of a response. I mean, Christmas is this celebration of the greatest gift that we could have ever received. It's the gift of Jesus, right? The Savior who frees us from our brokenness, frees us from our bondage, restores us to relationship with God. Right? And this gift has, been, uh, has, has come to us, and uh, even though it sort of has prompted us to give to others, there is this sense that really Christmas is not about getting, or not, sorry, not about giving, but I, so much as it is about getting. We don't normally think of it that way. But in a sense, Christmas is really not about us giving, but it is about us receiving. It's about God giving to us and us receiving that gift. And there's a sense in which you could say that is a gift that God has given us that we can never give back. Mike, Michael talked on, on uh, Christmas Eve service, he talked a little bit about this, this kind of concept of reciprocal giving, where we kind of, somebody gives us a gift and we feel like we have to give them a gift back in kind, right? And that kind of thing to sort of make up so we're even. Well, on Christmas, there's no way you can do that. There's no way you can give back to God anything that even comes close to equating what God has given to us in the gift of Jesus. And so in, in a way that maybe we don't normally think about it, Christmas really is a day of receiving. It's a day in which God gives to us and we, and we receive a gift that we cannot repay and we cannot make up for. And sometimes the only thing we can do is simply say thank you. We receive the gift and we say thank you. And so at Christmas, we receive this gift and we say thank you for the gift. But there is this, also this instinct in us, right, that says we, because of what has been given to us, we need to give to others, right? And so we, we turn around and, and we, in the spirit of God giving to us, we also give gifts to others. And it also, I think, is appropriate for us to think about what about the gifts we give back to God, now, I just said there's no way you can give God back a gift that's of equal value to what God has given to you. But that doesn't mean there aren't tangible ways that we can give back to God. It's very interesting when you trace the Christmas story through the, um, through the scriptures, right, through Luke and through Matthew, that kind of the next thing that happens in the story, we have Jesus' birth, uh, and then the next thing that happens in the story is the Magi show up with gifts for the king. 
They give back in recognition of who the king is. Right? And, and Matthew notes this. And so there, there is something that, that we recognize that even though it is, yes, theologically true to say we cannot pay God back for the gift he has given us at Christmas. There is also something legitimate about giving to God gifts of thanks. Right? And gifts of praise. And gifts of worship. And there are tangible ways that we can give gifts back to God. Yes, you can give a gift back to Jesus. And it doesn't have to be a drum solo. pum 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 There are other things that we can give back to Jesus. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what are some of the things that we can give back to Jesus in response, in thanks for what he has done to us, what he has given to us at Christmas. Now, in recent years, I've become increasingly drawn to and kind of fascinated by the great commandment. And some of you are familiar with that particular passage. We'll read it in a moment here. But uh, the great commandment, uh, I've become increasingly drawn to this commandment and kind of fascinated by it. And it, it really has become something that's really shaped my understanding and concept of of discipleship, of the Christian life, what it means to live the Christian life. It's become a part of my sort of my regular uh, quiet time and devotional life. And many times uh, my, my times alone with God are shaped around the great commandment and reflection on the great commandment. And so it's become sort of a very, uh, a very important part of my own journey. But I, I think it, it has become a, a really good template for answering this question, what can we give back to God? Now, in, in sort of basic terms, the great commandment really is very simple and very straightforward, what it is trying to tell us. The great command is simply saying, you need to love God with everything. It's not really that complex, right? Hard to do, not that hard to, to, to grasp in general terms, right? You need to love God with everything. But at the same time, there is this sense and these words that come to us in the great commandment that I think give us ways of reflecting on that question. How do you give to an invisible God yourself. How, what does giving to him everything actually look like in tangible terms? And so uh, I, I started reflecting on it in that way. And so we're going to use today the great commandment. We're going to use Mark's version of the great commandment as kind of a gift buying guide for presents for Jesus, things that we can give back to Jesus this year in response for what he has given to us. So let me just read from Mark 12, uh, the great commandment, and, uh, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Right, so we read in Mark 12 that one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. And noticing that Jesus had given him a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So Jesus is asked to sum up the whole of the commands, and this is, what he, this is the response he gives. So let's reflect on this a little bit. And, and what does this mean in terms of us on this Boxing Day giving back to Jesus in response to what he has done for us? And so let's talk a little about, about heart. Uh, when I think of giving God my heart, I think about things like, what is my relationship with God truly like? 
And what is my sort of posture and orientation towards God? You know, there, there's a sense you could say when we were, when we were far from God, when we were uh, without Jesus, you might say we kind of had our backs turned to God. So say if God was over there, we, we might be, our posture would have been something like this, right? And then we repent, the Bible says, turned around and we turn towards God. But sometimes I ask myself the question, have I really turned towards God or have I kind of more done like this, right? I'm kind of in the general direction, but am I really face-to-face pursuing God? Uh, It's said when, when you converse with someone, it's said that you can actually tell how engaged they are in a conversation with you by the position of their feet, Right? So in other words, if you're talking to someone, uh, you know, if I'm talking to Dallas and, and I'm really engaged in a conversation, my feet are going to be pointed towards him, and that's as I engage. My body language is going to engage in that way. If I'm not really that interested in talking to Dallas, I'm probably going to, I'm going to be t- more like this. Right? So I'll be talking to him, but I might have one foot pointed towards the exit, because my body language is going, I really don't want to talk to him, I would kind of get out of here, right? That kind of thing. And, we're, and it's said that our body language will sometimes sort of betray that level of engagement, that we will kind of turn sort of towards the exit rather than towards the person. And now, now after the service, everybody's going to be staring at each other's feet, right? Trying to figure out whether, you're, uh, whether they want to talk to you or not. But, but I wonder if that's not sometimes how I'm positioned towards God. Right? I'm like, yeah, God, I want to follow you. Yeah, I'm in pursuit of you. Right? And I'm kind of, I'm not turned away, but I'm not really turned towards. Right? And so maybe the gift of giving God my heart is to really wrestle with that question. Am I 100% turned towards God, pursuing God, walking in the direction of God? Or am I more like, I, I kind of like the idea of God being part of my life, but I kind of prefer he sort of stand off to the side, kind of in the shadows, where I can consult with him if I need to, and if I get in trouble, he can kind of step in and bail me out. But kind of, I kind of would like him to stay out of my way. So I, I'm kind of, I'm, yeah, God, I'm on your side, but I kind of would like to chart my own path. And so I, I ask myself, what does it mean for me to love God with all my heart? To orient my life towards him in that kind of singular focus and direction. And so I can truly say I have given God all my heart, not half my heart or three quarters of my heart or 90% of my heart. So I ask you, what, what would that look like this year for you to love God with all your heart? All your heart. Be fully turned towards God and pursuing that path of relationship with Him. Right? Loving God with all our heart. We can give God our hearts. What about our soul? We can give God our soul. Now, soul is kind of a tricky word, but when I think of giving God my soul, I think about uh, my personhood. Uh, the things that make me uniquely me, right? Uh, what about my daily life? What about my personhood? What about those things like my, my goals and my aspirations and my hopes and my dreams? My measure of success, what the good life looks like. What is it when I get up in the, in the, in the day, what is it that I want to pursue that day? If someone were to follow me around for that day, and just simply based on my behaviors, based on my actions, the things I said and the things I did, take a guess as to what is most important to me, what would they say? 
And if they were to follow me around for a week, what would they say? This is what Brad's about. This is what daily life means to Brad. This is what his life is about. This is his definition of the good life. Or this is the life he's pursuing. What does that mean? So what does it mean to give my hopes and my, my dreams and my goals and my aspirations to God? And to give him my soul, that which is most uniquely me. Uh, what about, what about my, things like my identity and, and my wholeness? What does it mean to shape my life and my identity around Jesus? Right? Uh, and to give Jesus all of myself. Now, uh, this is kind of a mind-blowing concept. That, uh, because when we, we, we think about giving ourselves to Jesus, we know that we are kind of flawed. Right? And there's some sense of, you know, you don't give people, like, broken presents, right? This didn't work, so I'm going to give it to you as a gift, right? Merry Christmas. You don't do that. You want to give the best, right? But we know our lives are flawed. And so what does it mean to give to God a flawed soul? Well, I want to show you something. I just have to go and get it here. I want to show you the, um, something that is my favorite piece of art that we have in our home. It's one of my favorite pieces of art. And I want to show it to you today. So here it is. I think it goes this way. If you can get a picture of that. It's one of my favorite pieces of art. Uh, my daughter Shalise made this when she was, uh, I think we decided it was when she was in grade four. We were talking about this. Uh, it's a, a wire sculpture of, uh, this is me playing my guitar and singing. And this is Shalise singing with me. She's cool. But, you know, and, so, and there's the two of us singing together. And Shalise made this for me when she was in grade four. Um, it is one of my favorite pieces of art that we have in our house. Now, you might look at it and go, okay, it's, it's okay. I'll tell you what, it's better than I could do even now. <laughs> I will tell you that. But it's not flawless. But its value is not in its perfection. Right? Its value is in what it represents. Its value is in the life and the relationship that it marks. Not in its artistic perfection. And the value of you giving your soul to Jesus is not in the perfection of your soul. You don't have to worry about the perfection. Jesus has got the perfection part figured out. He's going to make that happen. He's not worried about your perfection. That's going to happen. He's going to make that happen. What he wants is he wants your permission to step into your life and to start working in all the corners and edges and spaces and rooms and compartments of your life and start transforming and blessing and, and working in all those things. What he wants is your permission so that we can come to God even with our messed up souls where we're like, yeah, sometimes I really don't know what life is about. Sometimes I really don't know what I want to do. Sometimes I really don't know what's important. Sometimes I really don't pursue the things of God, but we can give that all to Jesus and just say, this is yours. This is yours, this life broken, confused, whatever, misguided, it's yours. I want you to take it. I want you to have it. And there is no greater gift than that gift of the life that we can give him. So to me, giving Jesus my soul means holding my loves and my hopes, my fears, my wounds, 
my victories, my failures, all of it with an open hand and just simply saying, here, God, it's yours. Take it. It's yours. And I'm going to give God my heart and my soul. What about mind? Jesus says, now love the Lord your God with all your mind. Well, when I think of mind, of course, I think of devoting myself to study and learning and growth, putting in the time to know God's word and God's truth. Uh, you know, we live in a culture that is increasingly moving, and sometimes it seems with increasing speed towards secularism, pluralism, atheism, and all kinds of other isms. Uh, everything except towards the word of God and the truth of God. And there is no shortage of opinions and perspectives. And it is probably more important than ever, as followers of Jesus, that we have a very clear understanding of this book and of the truths to which it points. And sadly, uh, in a culture where we sometimes have more access to more Bible study and Bible learning resources than ever before, in some places, we are becoming actually less biblically literate than ever before. So we have this, this perfect storm. We have this abundance of ideas and spirituality, some of them which sound really, really good and almost biblical, right? And the, all these perspectives and all these, these varieties and all these different spiritualities abounding in our society and truth is up for grabs and we know less of this book. That's a dangerous combination, Right? And so giving God my, my mind means more than ever, I, I want to be committed to discerning what is true and to studying God's word and to knowing God's truth and to learning um, the, the, how to study um, God's word and how to understand God's truth. Now, you might just be saying, well, you just say that because you teach at a Bible school and you want everybody to go to PRBI. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's not the only thing. Uh, this is something that is very important for us, right? See, if you don't have a way of filtering truth from error, if you don't have a standard or a compass to show you the path, if you don't have a roadmap in today's culture, you will be hopelessly lost. You will just get lost in all the twists and turns of life and society and all these competing ideologies and ideas. If you don't have a roadmap, you will be, find it very difficult, if not impossible, to find your way. And so we need to know that roadmap. We need to build on a foundation. And so maybe your greatest gift to God this year is to simply say, God, you know what? I've been a little bit lazy about knowing you and knowing your truth and knowing your word. You know, I kind of, you know... Sunday morning, show up, half an hour, hope the preacher doesn't go overtime, right? Um, I kind of half sort of pay attention when I'm not on my phone texting. I don't know, none of you are like that, right? Um, but I want to give more of myself to learning God's truth and to learning God's word. I want to be more intentional about that. I know that uh, I have not put maybe the effort into that that I need to. So maybe I need to spend some time this year reading the Bible or getting a hold of real, some really good teaching material, or joining a small group. Whatever it is, it's going to help me engage the Bible at a deeper level this year, because it's time I got to know God's Word as a gift to Jesus. I want to know your Word. I want to know your letter to me. I want to give you my mind. Or I might say, I want to give you my strength. When I think of giving God my strength, I think of the physical resources at my disposal. 
right? All those physical things. You see, uh, we live in a very physical universe. And, and sometimes, even as Christians, we've sort of been, been guilty of, of separating the physical from the spiritual and treating, you know, we, we, we say, well, the physical is not really that important. It's the spiritual that matters. Um, that's not really the biblical paradigm on the human life. These things are very, very integrated. Yes, there is a spiritual side to us, but we are also physical beings. And our expression and our love for God has a very, very physical nature. And and the physical part of our existence is very important, right? And so how I manage that physical part of my existence does matter. It can be something as simple as, as my own physical body. Right? My habits, my health, and I know, you know, we always know that, right? number one, New Year's re- resolution, right? Lose weight, get in shape, something to have to do with physical health. But, you know, our physical health does actually impact our spiritual health. Probably one of the number one reasons people give for not spending time with the Lord, like, say, you know, setting aside some time early in the morning to spend some time reading your Bible and praying, probably the number one reason people give for not doing that is... I'm too tired. My physical condition directly impacts my openness to engage God at that level. Uh, And so, and and I could go on with other kind of examples, but um, our physical bodies, our physical lives are part of who we are. So it might mean um, giving some attention to my body. It might mean giving attention to my gifts and my talents and my abilities. Right? Are you, am I using these things just to make my life better for myself, or, or can I use these things to serve God? Right? Whatever I'm doing, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in the community, whatever gifts and abilities God has given you, how can you take those things and use them in a practical way to serve God and to serve God's kingdom? Right? He's given you those abilities. What can you then do to invest them? Or what about my money, my material possessions? Do I have that? Do I just spend that on myself? Or do I, do I find ways to invest my material possessions and my money in things that are of spiritual and, and eternal and lasting value? Things that change people's lives. Things that bless people with the kindness of God. Right? How do I embody this, um, this love of God in practical, tangible ways? Right? So what does it mean to love God with my strength, with my body, with my gifts, with my talents, with my possessions, with all the physical stuff of life? Right? Do I just treat that as physical stuff of life, which is really kind of different than the spiritual part of me? It, not, doesn't really that, it doesn't really impact it that much. It's not really that important. Or do I treat it as in terms of these physical things, this physical dimension of life? These are part of what it means to follow Jesus and love Jesus with everything. Not just with my heart, not just with my mind, not with just my soul. Those sort of intangible things, but with the tangible stuff of life. What do I do with that? And so I might ask that question. And finally, relationships. Uh, Jesus adds this, this second command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so I think we can also give to God the gift of our relationships. And when I think of giving God my relationships, I think of learning to love people like Jesus loves people. And Jesus doesn't love people sometimes the same way we do. Now, the love that Jesus has for people is not just an emotion, although it can certainly have emotion, but it's not just emotion. It's not about reciprocity. It's not about recognition. It's not about compatibility or likability or even personal benefit. Jesus at one point said to his followers, hey, if you like the people that like you, 
Everybody does that. Nothing particularly special about that. It's easy for us to love the people that love us back. Jesus, nothing particularly special about that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to love the people that grate you the wrong way. I want you to love the people that it's hard for you to connect with. I want you to love them too. And so, uh, and so this loving others is not just simply about enjoying close friendships, although that certainly is part of, of who we are, and, and God blesses us with, with relationships and with friendships, and we need to be thankful for those. But loving others is more than just enjoying those friendships. Uh, it is a love that is centered on a desire to always recognize the other person as someone deeply loved by God, and because of that, to desire the best possible outcome for them and then do the things that contribute to that outcome. So to see a person as deeply loved by God, and then to desire the best possible outcome for them, and then to do the things that contribute to that best possible outcome. To love people in that way. Whether we have an emotional connection or not, to love people that way. You see, one of the primary ways we experience the love of Jesus is through other people. And one of the primary ways we express the love of Jesus is to other people. These things are not really that separate. And so loving Jesus means to love what Jesus loves. And it means to, to develop that ability to love uh, one another the way Jesus would have us love. And if I've got my facts straight, uh, I think after the New Year's we are actually going to do a series on loving one another. What it means uh, to love one another. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. So giving God our relationships. So giving God our heart, our mind, our strength, our soul, our relationships. Now, does any of this make us even with God? No. It doesn't. And in the end, the irony is that God often gives more back to us through our gifts than we ever give him anyways. You know, a number of years ago, when Barb and I did a, uh, some short-term missions, and we, we were in Romania, and we met this, this lady, an elderly lady, who lived in a little shack, didn't have a whole lot, lived in a little shack, built up against the side of a church, and uh, that's, uh, that's where she lived, as far as I know. And, uh, and we, were in, we went to that church, and we were in the church, we were doing a service, and while we were in the service, she washed our vehicle, like with, took a, with a bucket and a sponge, washed our vehicle down, we didn't know that she had done this. And we came out later and realized that she had washed our vehicle. And so one of the girls on our team went over to say thank you to her. And, uh, and this lady, when, when she went to say thank you, she, this lady just kind of giggled and then, you know, just walked into her, her little humble little home, came out with a jar of pickles, gave it to her. And, oh, thank you, thank you for the pickles. And she walks in, walks out with another jar of pickles. So every time Nancy says thank you, this lady goes in and gets another jar of pickles. Stop thanking her already, right? Because she keeps giving us pickles. So you, but there was, we just wanted to say thank you, and she just wanted to keep giving. And sometimes I think that's how God works. Right? We give back to God these expressions of thanks and praise and, and worship and even these gifts we give back to them. And God just takes those things and he just gives them right back to us. Right? And even more. Now, I don't subscribe to some kind of a mathematical formulaic formula where every time you give God, God is obligated to give you so and so much more back in return or anything like that. I don't think it works like that. But I do think there is this principle. And the principle is that in when we give to God, 
we often receive way more back from God than we ever gave to him. And maybe it's because when we give to God, we rid our hands of all the clutter that stops us from receiving what God was trying to give us in the first place. So in none of this do we outgive God. But still, the Bible says this is our reasonable response. This is what we can do to say thank you. That we can give to God in light of what he has given to us that we can give him ourselves back. And so, you can give something to God this year. And you can give him your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, your relationships. And in these things, you will express gratitude to God in a tangible way. So let's spend a few minutes in prayer here. And I just want to give you some time to reflect. And just listen to, maybe the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you right now as we reflect. I'm just going to ask some questions and then just give you a moment just to listen. And maybe God will say something to you. But first question that we need to ask God as we come to prayer is, God, what does it mean this year to give you my heart? What does that mean? And just let God speak to you. If something comes to mind, just hang on to that. What does it mean to give you my whole heart this year? God, what does it mean to give you my soul? That which is uniquely me, my hopes, my dreams, my aspirations, my fears, my brokenness, my pains. My... What does it mean to surrender that to you? Is there something I can give you, Lord? And Holy Spirit, what does it mean to give my mind? How can I give my mind more fully than I have before? Spirit, what does it mean to give our strength? Maybe that's the stewardship of our bodies, the use of our gifts and talents, our money, our possessions, the physical stuff of life. What does it mean to give that to you? And Spirit, what does it mean to give you my relationships? What does it mean to give you my relationships? Maybe there's a person 
that God will bring to mind and say, that's who I want you to love this year. In your love for me, love them. Lord Jesus, we are conscious during this season, especially as in no other time in the year, uh, of the gift that we have in Jesus, of how you coming to this earth and taking on a human body for us, what an incredible thing that was, what an incredible act of selflessness and generosity and grace that was for us, something that we cannot repay. And yet we want to in some way express our thanks to you. So take these tangible gifts as broken and marred and imperfect as they are, our hearts, our souls, our minds, our strength, our relationships. Take them and do something beautiful with them. May you be honored by the gifts that we give you this year. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. If you do need to uh, spend a few extra minutes or you want someone to pray with you, you are welcome to stay behind and just come up to the front and someone will gladly uh, spend some time praying with you and uh, maybe talking through some of this stuff with you. So if uh, you need to have that conversation with God uh, or you need to have that time in prayer, um, by all means, um, please do that. But uh, I want to wish you a wonderful year of loving Jesus with all that you have and all that you are. And let me leave you with this benediction. It's familiar to our church from 1 Thessalonians 5. It's not worded exactly the same, but I think the intention is really similar. So let me leave you with this. It says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. Thank you, and have a great week.